This past Monday, Texas Democrats hopped on a private charter jet, maskless and with some Miller Lite, to take selfies in front of the nation's capital and meet with Vice President Harris and Chuck Schumer about ending the filibuster, all while filibustering themselves. And on Tuesday, President Biden gave his most fiery speech yet since taking office, claiming that voter integrity laws are Jim Crow and the greatest threat to America's democracy since the Civil War. What is going on? What are the facts? And why does it matter? All on today's podcast. This is Whitney Short. Welcome to The Whitney Short Show. Okay, so what is going on? On Tuesday, President Biden traveled to Pennsylvania to give a speech about voting and preserving the right to vote. And everything that's been leading up to this is, of course, the 2020 election, H.R. 1, which Democrats have been saying for months is one of their number one priorities. Now, remember, this bill was actually introduced, I believe, in 2019. So this is something they've been trying to get through for a while. This is not just a result of the 2020 election, as they're pretending it is. So that the Republicans filibustered that bill in the Senate. And when they filibustered, they filibustered, they weren't trying to pass the bill then. They were just trying to bring it to the floor for debate. And the Republicans said, we're not even going to debate this. Um, the pro- The Democrats, of course, went crazy over that, acting like they were surprised. The thing is that this had been in committee for debate. And when it was in committee for debate and Republicans were offering amendments and uh, trying to work with Democrats, then the Democrats rejected all of their amendments. So it's not that Republicans haven't put forth an effort to work with them on this. It's just that the Democrats were unwilling to work on it in a private setting. They wanted to make a national scene of the Republicans filibustering so that it gives them a talking point for the 2022 elections and 2024 elections. So that's kind of what's been going on with HR1. And then since the 2020 elections, we've seen several states um, enacting or trying to push through voter integrity laws. Georgia, of course, there was so much debate about that. The DOJ is suing Georgia for their (laughs) voting integrity laws. Um, Texas is trying to pass one right now. Uh, States like Arizona and Pennsylvania are conducting audits of the 2020 election. And there's also another Voting Rights Act in the works called the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which Democrats are hoping to push through as well. So all of that, all this talk on voting, on elections, is what led up to this speech that Biden gave in Pennsylvania on Tuesday. Okay, so before we get to Biden's speech, let's talk about what's going on in Texas. So at the end of May... Texas legislators, the Texas Democrats, they walked out of their legislative session so that they would not have to take a vote on this voter integrity bill that they are trying to pass there. So they left. There wasn't enough people to take a vote. So they had to end the session without addressing this issue. Governor Abbott said, that's not going to fly. I'm calling a special session. You guys are coming back and you're going to keep coming back until we take care of this. So they came back for the special session that they're hosting in July that is meant to address this voting rights bill or voting integrity bill, and some other issues as well. And instead of debating and taking a vote on this and doing their job, they chartered a private jet and grabbed some Miller Lite, I kid you not, and (laughs) flew to Washington, D.C. 
where they have been uh, claiming that they are fugitives, uh, talking about all the sacrifices that they are making. Vice President met with them, Vice President Harris met with them and, uh, you know, told them that they are heroes. Apparently, we don't know, like, what a hero actually looks like today anymore. And uh, they're also meeting with Chuck Schumer as well, which is funny because they're meeting with Chuck Schumer about the filibuster and doing what is called a carve-out. So what they mean by a carve-out is making an exception to the filibuster rule. So not exactly, from what I can tell, they're not exactly saying let's end the filibuster, but they want to create a carve-out. So what this is, in 2013, the Democrats did this first. They weren't able to eliminate the filibuster, so they created, they went what's called the nuclear option, and they created an exception to the filibuster. And this exception was that you only needed a simple majority um, instead of a two-thirds majority in order to pass nominations for the administration. And um, they were warned at the time, I believe it was by Mitch McConnell. He said, hey, like, if you do this now, it's going to come back to bite you later, and it's probably going to be sooner than later. So in 2017, when Republicans were trying to get Supreme Court nominations uh, approved, and they weren't having any luck. Well, guess what they did? They went the nuclear option, created this carve out and said, we only need a simple majority to approve Supreme Court nominations now instead of a two thirds majority. So that is what, since the Democrats are realizing, hey, like probably not going to be able to get rid of the filibuster altogether. Let's make another exception. So the exception they want to make is that you only need a simple majority when it comes to voting on issues in regards to voting. So that's what they want to do to try to get HR passed, or at least that's what they say they want to do. Like, I think a lot of this is actually political theater, and we'll talk about that in a second, too. But it's funny because what the Democrats in Texas are doing is essentially a filibuster. So according to the Senate website, this is the definition of a filibuster. It's an informal term for any attempt to block or delay Senate action on a bill or other matter by debating it at length, by offering numerous procedural motions, or by any other delaying or obstructive actions. So I think hopping on a privately chartered jet and flying out of state counts as any other delaying or obstructive action. So what they are doing right now is a filibuster. So the hypocrisy, I mean, it's, you just got to laugh at it. They're going to talk to Schumer about ending or making a carve out for the filibuster all while they're filibustering. They are on a privately chartered jet, no mask. Now it is a private jet. So technically they don't have to wear a mask because it's not public transportation, but they're making everybody else who has to take public transportation wear a mask, but they don't have to. So rules for thee, not for me. And let's talk about the cost. Is this costing Texas taxpayers? They want to make it seem like it's not. Okay. Um, Representative Wu said that they are using donor and member money and Beto O'Rourke, he's not in office right now, but he is out 
fundraising for them so that they can pay for food and for hotels. So they're trying to make it seem like, oh, this is not costing taxpayers anything by us doing this. But that's not entirely true because when the Texas legislators are in session, they get $200 a day to cover expenses while they're there. That is on top of the salary that they're being paid. Now, they don't get paid a lot of money for being a senator or a state senator or representative, but they are still getting paid. So they're getting paid $200 a day, which the sessions can last for up to 30 days at a time. So that is $6,000 in a 30-day time period. And 57 of them fled to D.C. So $6,000 times 57 over 30 days three hundred and forty two thousand dollars. So, yes, uh, this is actually costing taxpayers money and Texans overall are not in favor of what they're doing. According to Fox News, by a two to one margin, Texas reject Texans reject the Democrats flight out of state. They want their lawmakers to go to work and not walk. Now, listen, I grew up in Texas my entire life. Most of my family is still there. Texans are a tough breed of people. They're not a bunch of whiny babies. I mean, yeah, you've got your like bigger city areas that are more little, a little more liberal and soft, but the majority of Texans are like pull on your boots, buckle up your belt and do your job. Okay. So what is in this bill that is so, 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 so horrible that they had to leave the state for, okay, well, you've got to have voter ID. Uh, and you know, that's just the most racist thing ever (laughs) right now in Texas. When you send in a ballot, if you're doing a mail-in ballot, all they have right now is a signature match and the committee that determines whether your signature is going to count or not is it's unbalanced. There's a two to one partisan balance. So you could have like two Democrats and one Republican looking at your signature and saying, yep, it's good. No, it's not. I mean, is that really, does that the risk that you want to take with your ballot? And I mean, come on, we all know that your signature can change from time to time. Uh, My husband's signature never looks the same ever. And mine has changed over the years. So a signature match, it's just not good. Okay. And it's so easy. Like you do not even, (laughs) you do not even have to provide a photocopy of your ID. All you have to do is write, I think the last four numbers or something like that on the flap of the envelope. And if you don't have that, you can use your social security number. I mean, this is so easy, you know, like Kamala Harris thinks that rural people don't even know what a copy machine is apparently, or like how to get a copy of anything. So no concern there. Even if you live out in the sticks of Texas, don't worry. You don't have to photocopy it. All you have to do is write it on the envelope. So you should be good. So it actually expands voting hours. So we talked about this. uh, I've talked about this before in regards to Georgia, where sometimes in rural communities, the election offices, they're not open all the time. They may only be open part-time. So what this did is it unified or, um, what do you call it? It made it, it made it consistent across the state where for early voting, They have to be open set hours from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Listen, if you can't get your vote in when you have two weeks of early voting from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., like that's your problem. 
Okay, that, like, seriously, it expands voting hours. It does not limit them. They got rid of 24-hour voting, which I think was only in one county that tried to do this, and it was during the pandemic. So Democrats are acting like they are getting rid of these things that have been in place forever. Like, these things like drop boxes, drive-through voting, 24-hour voting, these were all because of COVID. This is not stuff that's been happening for years. So, yeah, voter suppression. It's, it's not happening. With ballot boxes, it says that they have to be manned. They can't just be left out on the street. Again, like this is all very similar to the Georgia voting law. So it's things like that. If there's 100,000 or more constituents in a county, then they have to have uh, camera surveillance so that they can hear and see what's going on. So like in the 2020 election, where you've got video and no audio, and it's not like not really helpful to prove anything. They're saying, hey, like, let's just try to eliminate problems in the future uh, by having video surveillance up on these larger counties. Uh, it's there's it allows for partisan poll watchers. So you can go observe people who are counting the votes for additional accountability. Uh, let's see here. It prevents or prohibits ballot harvesting. Uh, so you cannot have paid oper operatives going and collecting ballots, which people have done. They'll go to nursing homes. They will help, uh, help in quotes, elderly people fill out their ballots and then they will take them places. And also when you have ballot harvesting, you lose the chain of command. So you don't know if it gets thrown out or if it gets tampered with. So it's things like that. These are just common sense things. And the Democrats are saying, hey, but it's election fraud is not a problem in Texas. Well, it's not a huge problem, but it also is not unheard of. So in Texas, there, the general, the attorney general's office has convicted 140 people of election fraud since 2005 with 44 open election cases pending as of right now. More than half of those in convictions involved mail-in ballot fraud, and for about 10 of the 16 years in question, those prosecutions were untamed with only one part-time prosecutor. They have three prosecutors working now, right now to ensure free and fair elections. So fraud has happened. And here's the thing, like how much fraud has to happen before we take steps to make sure that our elections are secure? Because listen, if someone votes illegally or fraudulently, guess what that does? That cancels out your vote. Okay. One bad vote cancels out another good vote. So I don't know why we have to wait until we prove widespread fraud for us to take measures to make sure that our elections are free and fair and secure and that everyone's vote counts that should count. Mitch McConnell, uh, in trying to kind of make a point and also be a little bit humorous said I noticed that the democratic minority in the Texas legislature is up here today and I think it's quite interesting to see the democratic party in the senate concerned about minority rights in the state senate in Texas I guess if you live long enough you'll see almost anything around here and I mean the irony it is it's kind of amusing to watch to see that the majority the democratic majority and the national legislator is trying to trample on the rights of the minority by either ending the filibuster or making new rules for it. 
all while defending the rights of the minority in Texas. It just doesn't line up. And listen, Democrats, here's, okay, remember what we told you about the filibuster before, they changed the rules in 2013. So the Republicans said, hey, got new rules, then we're going to play by those rules too. So you change the rules now, just get ready ready to play by them in the future. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this gem of a speech that Biden gave on Tuesday. And I got to say, I didn't watch the whole speech. I read it. I only watched a few clips and the clips I did watch. I mean, they must have given him a double dose of whatever medicine he's on because this is the most energetic uh, that I think we've seen him in a speech. It was like almost, it was, wow. It was like too much in some places. Like he was really, woo. I wish I could just, I wish I could play a video clip for you to see. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Um, Here's one of the things he said that I thought was very ironic and funny in light of the situation of the Democrats fleeing Texas on their privately chartered jet with their Miller Lite. He said, in America, if you lose, you accept the results. You follow the Constitution. You try again. You don't call facts fake and then try to bring down the American experiment just because you're unhappy. That's not statesmanship. That's not statesmanship. That's selfishness. That's not democracy. Wow. I mean... Was he talking to the Democrats in Texas? Because that's exactly what they need to hear. You lose, you accept the results. You try again in another session. You bring your own bill. Or you sue and try to say that this one's unconstitutional and take it to the Supreme Court. That's why we have checks and balances in different systems in America. You don't just bring down the American experiment because you're unhappy. You don't act anti-democratically. You know, the threat to democracy here is that these people are not doing their jobs and representing the people who voted for them and even the ones who didn't vote for them, who they are still supposed to represent. That's the threat to the democracy that's going on right now. It's not these voter integrity laws that are really nothing. I mean, they're just all they are doing is taking care of weaknesses that were exposed during COVID-19. That's all these things are doing. The Democrats keep saying that this is suppre- these laws are suppressing the vote. It's just a talking line. They have no proof that voter suppression is happening on a widespread, widespread level, just like Republicans can't prove that voter fraud is happening on a widespread level. Okay, you can make these claims all day, all you want, but they can't back them up. And he's right. That's, this is not statementship. It's selfishness. He said that Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that the United States Department of Justice is going to be using its authorities to challenge the onslaught of state laws undermining voting rights in old and new ways. The focus will be on dismantling racially discriminatory laws like the recent challenges to Georgia's vicious anti-voting law. The Department of Justice will do so with a voting rights division that, at my request, is doubling its size in enforcement staff. So two things here. Number one, again, making the claim that these laws, these new voter integrity laws are racially discriminating, they have no proof whatsoever to back that up. None. They never offer any. They just make a claim. They do not back it up. And there is conflicting studies as to whether voter ID does keep minorities from voting. And here's what I mean by conflicting. In 
one study that took place between 2008 and 2018, so a 10-year study from the National Bureau of Economic Research, they said, we find that the laws have no negative effect on registration or turnout overall for any group defined by race, gender, age, or party affiliation. So that was a study that took place over 10 years. There is a conflicting study out of the University of California, and they found that there was some difference in turnouts, but they called it negligible. Like it's not big enough to really even be noteworthy. They said there was a 4% lower turnout in primary elections. In general elections, there was really no noticeable difference. So you don't even know if that is because of voter ID laws or if that is for some other reason. And they don't say how long the study took place over. This is from 2017. The other study took place over a 10 year period. So tend to trust that one more since they were looking at more voters over a longer period of time and more elections. So they have no proof to back up these claims. Secondly, he said that they are doubling the size of the enforcement staff at the Department of Justice, and this is in regard to voting rights. So they are going to really be going after states who are passing, who have passed or are trying to pass these laws. They will be suing them, taking them to court over these laws. It's going to be costing taxpayers money, and it's inhibiting on states' rights. Look, the founding fathers, they had the opportunity to federalize elections when they set up this country, and they chose not to. They chose not to for a specific reason. Uh, Because it would make it much easier for federal officials to rig the system like they have in other countries and for the federal government or a really strong authoritarian leader to come in and set up an authoritarian type government like you see in Cuba right now. So they did not give the power to the federal government to oversee elections when they had the chance. They gave that to the state because the federal government derives its powers from the state, from the people. And the Democrats with this H.R. 1 bill are wanting to take that away. And they are doing that, trying to do that by calling these laws racist and discriminatory and making people believe that they're going to be disenfranchised and have their freedom taken away and that Jim Crow is coming back and now we're going to fight another civil war. It's ridiculous. Speaking of Jim Crow, he said the 21st century Jim Crow assault is real. It's unrelenting and we're going to challenge it vigorously. Comparing voter, like requiring voter ID and the limitation of drop boxes and the limitation of drive-through voting. Okay, sidebar here. The Texas bill prohibits drive-through voting. It doesn't prohibit curbside voting. What's the difference? Curbside voting is for disabled people who really cannot get out of their car and go inside to vote. They can drive up to the curb. They can have someone bring their ballot out to them and cast their vote out that way. They can also request a mail-in ballot. So there is two options for them to vote. Drive-through voting is just for people who are too lazy to get out of their car. That is what drive-through voting is for. I'm sorry. If you are so lazy that you cannot even get out of your car to go cast your vote, then don't vote. Okay, so back to Jim Crow. 
calling voter ID a limitation on ballot boxes, saying that someone has to be watching them, they have to be placed inside, they're only available certain hours, putting limitations on mail-in, saying like you have to provide a legitimate reason. Okay, all these things that are meant to make your vote more secure instead of putting it at risk by placing it in the hands of someone else. Comparing that to Jim Crow laws, it downplays how horrible Jim Crow laws were. Okay, we're not asking someone, like, can you read or can you not? We're not telling, asking them, like, how many jelly beans are in this jar. And if you can't tell me and you get it wrong, you can't place your vote. We're not moving voting locations around. We're not hauling people out of the voting place based off their skin color. There's no poll taxes, even though Democrats want to say that requiring someone to get an ID, like they may have to pay for something or they may have to like use gas money or take a bus. They say that's the equivalent of a poll tax. I mean, seriously, this is not Jim Crow. Okay. It's, it downplays the atrocities that Jim Crow actually was. He goes on to say, there is an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote in fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, who we are as Americans. Again, making some pretty big claims without any proof to back them up. How is, how are people's right to vote, vote being suppressed and subverted? How is this an assault on a democracy by saying you can only have so many ballot boxes, they have to be in certain places and they can only be certain open certain hours. We're not going to have 24 hour voting. You have to show an ID. Like, how is this an assault on a democracy? Then he says the assault on free and fair elections is just such a threat. Literally, I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole since the Civil War. I think it's around 600,000 people died during the Civil War. But yet asking you to show your ID or not even show your ID, just provide the last four digits of your driver's license number or the last four digits of your social security card or in some cases... If you don't have those things, you can provide copies of a utility bill. Uh, This is the greatest assault on our democracy since the Civil War. Like what? Like he said this like three times. Jinsaki has said this. This is. This is abusive and dangerous rhetoric. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at some of the reasons, possible reasons that the Democrats keep talking about voting rights, voter suppression, and the filibuster. Okay, so number one, they are using it as talking points for the 2022 and 2024 election. They knew from the very beginning that HR1 did not have a chance. Republicans from the very beginning have said, we are not backing this at all. Um, So they knew it didn't have a chance. They also know that the John Lewis Voting Rights Act probably doesn't have a chance. Uh, they also 
know that they're not going to be able to get rid of the filibuster, nor do they really want to. They use it 327 times last year compared to one time by the Republicans. So they really don't want to get rid of it because they use it a lot when they are in the minority. Um, and they talk about changing its rules, but they know that's probably not going to happen either. Biden has not come out and said that he supports ending the filibuster or changing the rules. The only thing that he has said is that maybe we need to go back to a talking filibuster, which is just his way of pandering because he knows that's not going to happen. Like nobody wants to go back to that. And Schumer as well, even though he says that voting rights are his top priority, um, he has not come publicly backed ending or changing the filibuster either. So this is really just a talking point for them. It's a way for them to be able to badmouth Republicans and say, hey, look, they won't work with us. They wouldn't even let us debate this. They are trying to suppress your vote. And if they suppress your vote, that means they are going to try to take other rights away. Blah, blah, blah. They're also using this as a way to raise money. Val Demings, um, a lot of cash was brought into her campaign in late June after she spotlighted the opposition to the filibuster through Facebook ads. And then um, longtime rep Tim Ryan of Ohio, he is a leading contender for the Democratic nomination in 2022. He's in a race to um, succeed a Republican Senator Rob Portman, and he has been opposed to eliminating the filibuster in the past, but now he's in favor of it. And he, uh, late last month, he, in Facebook ads, he said that he was pissed and that we must get rid of the Senate filibuster. He raised roughly $2.3 million the past three months, nearly doubling his fundraising haul for the first quarter of 2021. And then in Pennsylvania, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman has also been highlighting his push to scrap the filibuster. And he is one of the most well-known of the Democrats running in the race to succeed retiring Republican Pat Toomey. He also made a lot of money through Facebook ads. Uh, I think his was like six and a half million. Or that may be combined. But anyways, regardless of whether that's him or that's combined, they're making a lot of money through ads that are targeting the filibuster. So it's a way to make money for them. It's also a way for them to mobilize their voter race. So this, I mean, this is why they keep calling this Jim Crow and saying that this is the greatest threat to democracy since the Civil War. Because what was the Civil War? It was in large part a war to end slavery. So if they can convince minorities, black people, brown people, I mean, but mostly black people that Republicans are trying to take away their right to vote or suppress their right to vote, then that's just the beginning. Then Jim Crow is coming back. Uh, there was once, let me see if I can find this quote. This quote comes from Sherilyn Ifill. She's the president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. She said, our backs are against the wall. This is the moment. We have no more time. I told the president, we will not be able to litigate, litigate our way out of this threat to black citizenship. So if Republicans can enact these voter integrity laws, which they call them voter suppression laws, if they can enact these laws, I mean, this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of Jim Crow all over again. Your citizenship is going to be taking, taken away. Uh, you're at risk. If your citizenship gets taken away, your vote gets taken away, then, oh my gosh, like you could be a slave again and we could have another civil war. Like that's what these people are saying. 
Okay, and this is what I mean by abusive and dangerous language. Using this fear tactic in order to raise money and get votes, that is abusive. And it is dangerous because, this, I mean, the Civil War, come on, like, you're encouraging, okay, let's use their language. You're inciting violence. Some of them could easily be doing this for name recognition. For example, these Texas Democrats, they've, some of them, no one, no one knew who they were. No one knew who Gene, wa, Gene Wu was until he posted a picture of his Caesar salad, which is his, uh, quote, fist mill as a fugitive. No one knew who he was or any of these other guys that are all on MSNBC now or CNN. No one knew who they were, but now we do. Okay, they're all over the news. So this is great for name recognition because name recognition is everything in politics. When people show up at the ballot box and they recognize your name, chances are good that they're going to vote for you if you're in the right party and they recognize your name. It's a great way to fundraise and earn money. So doing this, I mean, it's just a, it's just a publicity stunt is all it is. Also, it's very racist. Okay. They're doing this because of their, let's use their language again, their inherent racism. They believe minorities are too ignorant, too incompetent, and too incapable to get an ID or to know where a polling place is, use the internet, anything. Okay, for example, okay, this comes from Joe Biden on a CNN presidential town hall. He said, not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, now this was in relation to COVID, but it applies, particularly in rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts know how to use, know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination at the Walgreens. So minorities, they are too stupid. They don't know how to use the internet. They don't know how to get in line and get to a Walgreens in order to get vaccinated. Okay, that is what you might call racism because he views them as inferior. And then in an interview with Candace Owens, Hawk Newsom, he was a chairman of a BLM Greater New York chapter. He insinuated that black people couldn't attain the necessary documents to attain an ID. You can find this interview on PragerU.com and watch it for yourself. So again, even though he's a black man and by all accounts, a successful one at that, he's saying that his own his own people essentially like they're incapable of doing what he is like he's special he he's special in some way but most black people are not as special as him and cannot get an id and there was a recent viral tiktok video i shared it on another podcast where they were asking people if photo id was racist they said it was because blacks didn't know how to use the internet or get to the dmv those comments come out come out of a belief that you are superior and that others are inferior and it's based off skin color. Like it's in the name of justice and compassion, but that's not just or compassion. That that's racism. And finally, in a article for national review, Kyle Smith wrote the second reason Biden likely gave this speech was to preemptively corrode trust in the 2022 and 2024 elections. Biden spent the first part of his talk bragging about how the United States had just conducted the cleanest election in history, grousing about efforts to undermine trust in our voting system. He then spent the rest of his time doing exactly that, talking about efforts to undermine the voting system. 
Many of the Democrats who can't stop talking about the horrors of Trump's big lie had no compunction disputing results in Georgia or the presidential election only a few years ago. Now they are creating a ready-made justification for delegitimizing any Republican victory. So doing this to undermine trust, doing it because they are actually racist themselves, doing it for name recognition to mobilize their voter base. Um, They believe that they have a right to the minority vote in that a person's skin colors determines their voting destiny. They're doing it to raise money, to badmouth Republicans, using it as talking points. So those could just be some of all the reasons why this is such a big issue. This is the last quote I want to point out from Biden's speech. He said, for make no mistake, bullies and merchants of fear and peddlers of lies are threatening the very foundation of our country. He is talking about Republicans there, but he is describing Democrats. They are using holly volatile comparisons in language, comparing these laws to Jim Crow, comparing, saying this is a threat to the democracy, the greatest threat to democracy since the Civil War, to incite fear into people. And it could potentially lead to violence between the races. I mean, it has. We had months of protest last summer and we're still, we're seeing an intensification in violence between the races now. And part of it is due to rhetoric and comparisons like this and inciting Fear in people, baseless fear in people, because they do not and cannot back these claims up. In a future episode coming up soon, we're going to talk about election fraud and voter suppression and take a look at both of those things. Because on at least right now, on the right side of the aisle, a lot of people are claiming election fraud. So does that exist? If so, to what extent? If you want to hear some of that debate, then you can listen to, I believe it's episode two. Yeah. Episode two. We do go over some election fraud history where it has occurred in the United States. Um, But we're going to look at both of those things because the right claims, you know, that there's possibly widespread election fraud and the left claims that there is widespread voter suppression, but can either side back either of these claims up? So we're going to look at that in a future episode. But let's just kind of conclude with these thoughts. We kind of covered all of them, all of them throughout the episode, but let's just like wrap it up as best we can in a nice little bow here. All right. So the federal government derives its power from the states. Founding fathers placed the election, the oversight of elections largely in the hands of the states. They did that to prevent the federal government from gaining too much overreach, too much power to prevent a dictatorial type government, authoritarian type government from coming in. This is what happens. That happens in countries like Cuba, like Venezuela, like Russia, China, when there's not these checks and balances for elections. They can come in and they can rig them. So founding fathers, when they had the chance to federal elections, federalized elections, they did not they gave that power to the state. The federal power, the federal government derives its power from the state who derives its power from the people. So if they are successful in federalizing elections, just know that they are taking power from you. Okay. And it's important 
that we help people understand that. And voter suppression, that's the big claim that the state laws are suppressing votes. Here's what real voter suppression is. Real voter suppression is if there is an illegal vote or a fraudulent vote that gets counted, then that cancels out a legitimate legitimate vote. So if what happens, if someone doesn't prove who they are, they are an illegal alien and they cast a vote, well, guess what? Your vote just got canceled. That's voter suppression. And comparing these Jim Crow law or these laws, these Jim Crow laws, they're indoctrinating me. Comparing these laws to Jim Crow and the Civil War, it's dangerous. Okay, it downplays both of those things. And it also incites fear, which can lead to a whole host of other problems. And then lastly, why do we have to wait until there's widespread voter fraud, until we prove that there's widespread voter fraud to take precautionary measures to ensure our elections are as secure as possible? I don't know if you've ever seen White Collar. It used to be one of my favorite shows. I still like it. Uh, but there's an episode where they have the main character, Neil, who used to be a con artist and becomes a FBI, I don't know what they call him, but anyways, like an aide to the FBI, essentially. And this bank has him hack their system to find out where their weaknesses are. Not their computer system, but like find out like how easy is it for someone to break in and steal the money. So they took these precautionary measures before someone actually had a chance to break into the bank. Okay, same thing. COVID exposed a lot of weaknesses in the electoral system. So, and it eroded trust in the elections for millions of people. So why wouldn't we, where we see the weaknesses, try to fix that before widespread fraud actually happens? And make no mistake about it, HR1 makes it very easily for widespread fraud to take place, okay? So this whole claim that they're just trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist, like why do we have to wait until the problem exists? That's stupid. All right, and then I want to close on this quote. This is from Casey James. She is the president of the Heritage Foundation. She was the director for the United States Office of Personnel Management under George W. Bush. She has a whole host of other experience in public service. This is what she wrote. And she, she is a black American woman. She said, the left has tried to portray any legitimate attempt to pass election integrity reforms as the disenfranchisement of African Americans. They talk about black folks as if we are incapable of obtaining an I- a state ID, getting to the polls on our own, or following simple election rules. Now, as states try to pass laws to prevent fraud, increase the transparency of our elections, and ensure that every legitimate vote gets counted, the left is once again opposing many of these measures. It's literally trying to stop states from, remo- from removing dead people from voter rolls, from preventing non-citizens from registering to vote, and from requiring people to prove they are who they say they are to vote, which polling shows most Americans, including Black Americans, agree with. The left claims that it's opposing these reforms because it wants to help African Americans, but in reality, it's creating a situation that dilutes their and everyone else's legitimate vote. The fact is... The left's real agenda isn't about helping minority voters. It's about helping themselves. 
they believe voter fraud favors their candidates, plain and simple. All right, that is all for today. Again, if you guys want to get some more information on voter fraud, go listen to episode two. We share some really crazy stories there about voter fraud cases in Chicago and New York that were widespread within those cities. Again, voter fraud doesn't have to be widespread. It just has to be significant. A small amount of it can change the results of an election. So we share some stories on episode two. And then if you want to know some history of the filibuster, because the claim is that this is a Jim Crow relic, truth is the filibuster has been around since at least the Roman times. And in America, it's been around for a long, long time as well. So if you want to know how it was kind of created in the States and how long it's been around and some history there, that is episode one. So thank you for listening. As always, if you found this helpful, you can take a screenshot, tag me in on Instagram so I can say thank you and we can get this out to more people. Go give us a five-star rating or review, review wherever it is you listen to your podcast. And I will talk to you guys next week.